Welcome to another episode of the Three Bid League podcast. The season is slowly coming upon us. As always, I am your host, Tyler, joined by my co-host, Matt. And in what is becoming a sort of tradition on this show, we are joined by the former LaSalle head basketball coach and current broadcaster, Dr. John Giannini. Coach, thank you for joining us again. I, I don't know about you, but I expect to have a spectacular episode here as always. Well, it's just great to talk with you. you, you we, we all love the A-10, so we have an awful lot in common. And uh, yeah, man, it's an absolute pleasure. I, I try to listen to you guys on your other podcast and you help me stay in touch with things in the off season. Obviously, I'll be much more focused once the games start. It's really hard to to predict things before the season. You know, these predictions always, we, we do our best to try to get a feel for things, but there's always big surprises. Um, but uh, no, you guys help me keep up on things and uh, there's a lot to look forward to. So what do you want to talk about today? Well, coach, we, first off, we really appreciate that you enjoy the show because we love the analysis that you give as well. And you know what? I appreciate that you unintentionally just led me right into my first question here. Last offseason, everyone was talking St. Bonaventure and Richmond. They were the runaway favorites, possible top 25 teams. And they both kind of sputtered out until Richmond found themselves in March. This year, similar talk about Dayton and St. Louis. They're the runaway favorites. They're potential top 25 teams. Well, we didn't really see the Bonaventure-Richmond problems coming last year. So... You can start with whichever team you want, Dayton or St. Louis. Is, are they equipped to actually come through and meet their expectations this year? Or is there something that maybe we should be watching out for that could potentially trip up one of those two teams? Well, we'll find out quick because the NCAA tournament process is largely determined for at-large bids in the non-conference part of the season. Once you get in the conference, you're beating each other up and you're going to, as a league, win half the games, lose half the games. Um, but uh, what happens in non-conference, I just can't emphasize enough. And last year, Richmond lost a lot of close games. Uh, Lofton had that foot injury that uh, really set St. Bonaventure back for the last half of their non-conference season. And that's really where those teams came up short. Um uh, so Dayton and St. Louis, you're right. They come in with top 25 potential. Uh, and this is how close they are. Uh, my strength in the offseason, I'm not uh, dissecting every player in their background, but I rely on my coaching relationships. And when I ask my coaching friends, what do you think between Dayton and St. Louis? It is split down the middle. It's unbelievable. Uh, on Dayton, they have obviously everyone back besides Weaver. They have a superstar in Holmes. They have pieces that fit positionally, just perfect and really good ascending players. Uh, of course, a proven coach, a great home court advantage. Uh, with St. Louis, you have a lot back. Again, positional fits 
with them, you really have phenomenal depth. I mean, just um, I, Coach uh, Ford is a very experienced coach, so he's been through this before, but he's going to have to keep a lot of people happy. I mean, their 10th, 11th guy is going to be a really good player. So those two are neck and neck. I watched a little bit of video this morning, not enough to feel really confident in a prediction, but if I had to choose between the two, I'd probably pick St. Louis. Holmes is a unicorn. He's a different animal. But I think, uh, and I think inside, uh, Kamara as well, uh, Dayton will have an advantage there. But on the perimeter with, you know, Collins, Jimerson, and Perkins, and college basketball is determined so much by perimeter play, whether it's decision-making or running pick-and-rolls or spacing the floor for threes. Um, you know, I just think that perimeter and the depth on the perimeter for St. Louis is unbelievable. The one thing I'd watch, and it happened a lot in last year, is point guard depth. There are some phenomenal point guards in this league uh, this year, and those top two teams have terrific, the top three teams, obviously with VCU, as, as well with Baldwin, uh, they have great point guards, but there's no next man up from the point guard position. Like you, you better keep those point guards, Smith and uh, Collins and and uh, Baldwin in bubble wrap because uh, there's there, there's there's no alternative to those guys. Even those programs, I think, are struggling to find backups that they're comfortable with at those positions. But I give St. Louis a, a, a slight nod over Dayton right now just because I think they they are a little bit better on the perimeter. Yeah, and I want to get your coach's perspective on something that you mentioned, which is St. Louis, the 10th and 11th men might not be happy there. I look at Dayton's depth, and I see a roster where two or three really talented guys are going to end up not playing by midseason as well. So yeah. how do Ford and Grant manage that so that, let's say, player X on Dayton, if he gets booted out of the rotation in November, all of a sudden he's might be needed in February because of an injury. Like, how do you deal with keeping that guy engaged? And especially at this point, we saw Dayton lose a, a bench guy to the transfer portal in the middle of December last year. Right. The coaches that I've seen that are most successful with that uh, situation have it they actually succeed having it both ways. They have their cake and eat it too. So yes, they don't play certain players. And when you have a good team, there might be good players who can't crack the rotation because someone else is just a little bit better. Uh, the late, great Pete Carrill, when he used to talk about subbing, he always used to say, well, if the best players are in the game, why would I want to take them out? Would that not, not be a good idea? So, um, you could be a really good player and not get the opportunities that you feel that you, you should be getting. It happens all the time. Um, the best coaches do not worry about those players' feelings. I know that sounds really mean, uh, but they stick with the players that they think that give them the best chance. But what's interesting, you mentioned keeping those players engaged. They do talk to them. They don't try to make them feel better about not playing because you can't do that, but you communicate that you have to be ready for your opportunity. You, I know you're not thrilled right now, uh, but we do have confidence in you. I know that might not make sense to you right now, but you got to keep working because we want to see you get better and we want to see you be ready when your opportunity comes. And 
let's say someone plays limited minutes. Well, they'll keep them, sometimes work them out after the game or work them out extra after every practice. So they keep them engaged, frankly, with work, not with words. That's the, actually, one letter makes a big difference. They work them. They don't try to give them a lot of words to make them feel better. Well, that is, that is a great perspective from you there, Coach. And speaking of these guys on the bench, between these top three teams, St. Louis, State, and VCU, we all obviously know the stars, Holmes, Kamara, Smith, Collins, Jimerson, Baldwin. You mentioned all these guys. So from what you've heard this offseason and what you've studied into yourself, is there one guy outside of, let's say, each team's top three or four players that yeah. you believe could end up having a really big season and maybe swinging this title race? Yeah, great question. Um, I'll, I'll start with uh, St. Louis. Uh, they're really high on Forrester, the, the former Temple player. And, uh, you know, tough to play two big guys together, uh, but uh, with uh, Okuro and Forrester. But uh, watch, I think Forrester is key for them. They have the players sincere that they're high on. They have the kid Thames, who I guess it sounds like a defensive uh, all out, like a one man press can pick up full court and just really make things hard on the other team individually. There's not many players who you could call a one man press. And, but this guy Thames, who I haven't seen play yet. I haven't seen sincere play yet. I've seen Forrester. But those are guys that, that they're pretty high on that people are not talking about a whole lot. Uh, in terms of uh, VCU, let's, um, I'm, I'm pulling up rosters over here as we go. Um, you know, I, this one is, so the guy that could come out of nowhere for them, that could start the season not playing too much and finish as an all-rookie team guy is their big guy, Lawal. So they're very deep up front. Deloach, I thought, showed a lot of promise last year. Uh, they have other big guys in the program. They have the guy Furman coming in. Uh, but Lawal seems to have uh, next level type athleticism that has taken them by surprise as a coaching staff a little bit. The Michigan transfers, yeah, people are talking about they're, they're really, really high on uh, the foreman from Michigan. Um, oh gosh, not uh, Jackson. Brandon but, uh, Johns. <laughs> yeah, Johns, they're really, really high on. Uh, but uh, yeah, if you're looking for someone that's going to continually get better, and people don't talk about Watkins as much because of the ACL either, but you know, Watkins can make people remember really, really quickly why people were so high on him. Um, you know, they also have the really good freshman coming in. Uh, Fats Billups, he's another one that could make an impact that people aren't talking about a lot. But Lawal is the one that I even had, haven't heard much about that people are kind of raving about. Now, the other one, and on your show, I heard you call him Mongolia Mike, but let's get the correct pronunciation down. Can you get, is it Shirav Jumps? Shirav Jumps? Do you guys know how to it's, pronounce it? It's, I know it's really close to that. I have to keep looking it up every time before I say it. Um, David Jablonski uh, over at the Dayton Daily News, I know, breaks it down every time he talks to him. So I go look at those videos for it. But 
So he seems to be very legitimate. Uh, again, the, the, and I'm basing this on the coaches I talk with. Every coach is really high on him. So, uh, you know, they have veterans, they have everyone back, but he's someone that is a high major talent uh, that should be able to have an impact pretty soon once he gets the hang of things. So those would be my answers. A surprise player in Lawal, probably more turn, turn around conference time. They say he's the kind of guy that if Ace Baldwin's on a pick and roll, he could just throw the ball to the rim like he's going to dunk it. And you can't say that besides Holmes about many players in the A-10 like that. But uh, that really got my attention. And uh, again, don't sleep on Forrester. This, you know, he's been around and he's an older, proven guy. And I think we've given VCU more time than anyone in college basketball media over the summer. We have not mentioned Toby Lawal's name until yeah. you brought it up right in that moment. So that is a guy that we really hadn't even factored into our depth chart. Yeah, well, he's the kind of guy that can, other people are clearly going to be ahead of him because the size. Furman is a huge, he's legit all of 6'10". They're really big on his physical presence. Of course, Deloach has proven, but uh, don't be surprised if Lawal continually ascends throughout that lineup. Yeah, and so to everyone listening who's not a Dayton, St. Louis, or VCU fan, I promise we'll move on to some other teams soon, but, but I did have but, one question that I'd love to get your... One more Lawal, let me let people... Oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> measured measured and this is from a vcu staff member 45 inch vertical oh man that's just perfect for vcu that's that's the <laughs> son ward level leaping right there yeah yes if not more so though that would be my surprise one there i'm glad right. you guys had him on the depth chart i'm glad i contributed something <laughs> yeah but when it when it comes to these teams i'd love your coaching perspective because Dayton, St. Louis, and VCU, all three had good seasons, went to the NIT last year, and came close to making it into the NCAAs. It kind of takes me back to your 2011-2012 season at LaSalle when you won 21 games, made it to the NIT, and then the next season was when the Explorers broke through. You made it to the Sweet 16. So I'm just wondering, what was that season in between or that off season like getting ready when you knew you had a strong talented group that had the potential to break through and reach that next level like these teams are hoping to because I mean I think it's fair to say Dayton St. Louis and VCU all have hopes of making it to the tournament right it, it, but you also when I emphasize the importance of non-conference last year I talked about Richmond losing close games and Lofton's injury at St. Bonaventure Dayton was the last team left out of the NCAA tournament, beat Kansas, obviously. But losing those three games, and I know even Coach Grant still has to be scratching his head over those ones because uh, there's some great mid-major teams, but those three losses were not against great teams. And they're at, they were at home where Dayton never loses. So to Coach Grant and the players and the staff's credit, they turned it around and beat the defending national champion and had a great run in the A-10. But, you know, if you're an A-10 fan, uh, the conference play is exciting. It's based on rivalries. But 
those bids are really gained in November and December. So be laser focused on those non-conference games. But when you go to the NIT and you have a lot coming back, the way I would describe it is the physical and the mental work together. Physically now, you know you're good enough. And for that reason, your confidence is high and you have that perfect mixture of being confident, but also humble. You weren't in the tournament last year. You know there's so much more to achieve, but you also know that you're good enough. So it's the perfect combination of confidence and humility, something to shoot for. You're trying to do something you've never done before. It's exciting, but deep down, you also know this is realistic. You're not pumping yourself up to make yourself believe you can do something that you haven't come close to before. For example, there's a lot of teams in college basketball and in the A-10 that are going to speak with great confidence at the start of the season and be really excited, but do they really believe what they're saying? Well, the, the Dayton's, the St. Louis's, trust me, they believe what they're saying. They know they belong. They know they can make a run. Yeah, and one of the things with Dayton we've seen as they try to build up to potentially making this run, Deron Holmes, their star, who you already mentioned, he is certainly not sitting back right now and thinking that this is going to come easy. John Rothstein broke the news yesterday. He put on 25 pounds of muscle this summer. And when we talked to him earlier, he said he's eaten all kinds of steak and protein. So he seems like a guy who is serious about getting them to where they should be going. No, he, he's special. He's, uh, he can do a lot of what Obi Toppin did for Dayton. Um, you know, he finishes everything. He's offensively versatile. He's an elite defender. He, he is really a special player. Yeah, and so I want to, I want to kind of ask you too: Is there another guy? Because Holmes, I think, is going to be the runaway preseason favorite to be Player of the Year in this conference. Is there another guy in this conference that deserves to be in that discussion as someone who could be a high ceiling player and really? just have a fantastic season? Well, I think when you're talking player of the year, it's all the knowns. It's uh, Burton at Richmond, it's Arduro, it's Perkins and Yuri Collins. Like there's not going to be any player of the year surprises. I, I think that those guys, the league is too good. The guys that are on those lists are too good. Uh, I just don't see anyone passing those kind of players up. But uh, I, I would have to say Holmes would be an overwhelming favorite. He fits in with that team perfectly. He's, he was incredibly productive as a freshman. It, you tend to make your biggest jump freshman a sophomore year. And as you said, we, we're hearing these stories about his progress. So, uh, yeah, I, and, and just physically, he's a next level up kind of guy. So, uh, yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't put anyone else uh, as potential candidates outside of the obvious or anyone ahead of Holmes. All right, so we'll, we'll move it along to the other, I was about to say 11 teams in the league, but it's now 12. So outside of the three that we've discussed so far, what's a team that has kind of caught your eye that you've heard some great things about? Maybe, maybe not necessarily your pick to be the fourth team, but someone that you feel like could have a really high ceiling. Yeah, I, I have this next tier after the, the, the top three. And let me pull up my notes over here. But off the top of my head, George Mason, UMass, Davidson, Richmond would be my next tier. And if I had to 
pick someone for fourth, it would be George Mason. And not just because of Oduro, I think that Gaines is also an all-conference type player and Cooper's uh, highly proven. Uh, the, the, the transfer Bailey, I think it is. Let's see over here. Uh, the the, the Oregon-Tennessee transfer. Yeah, Bailey. They say his athleticism is off the charts and he's different from Schwartz. Schwartz is bigger, a better shooter, but Bailey gives you more athleticism, more off the bounce. So they think that's an even trade. Uh, I think with George Mason, so once you get out of those top three, there's just more questions. And the question that they had going into last year was point guard play. And I think that question is still there for them. Uh, the other thing they're really excited about is last year when Orduro wasn't in, uh, the team wasn't nearly the same. This year with their Virginia Tech transfer, uh, let me get this, uh, Ojako, they say he is, you want your starter, you want your subs to be starter quality. And they feel that he would be a good A-10 starter a lot of places. He's just behind a player of the year candidate. But now they feel they could play, maybe give uh, Orduro some more breaks, uh, keep him a little bit fresher. But, you know, if the worst case thing happens and maybe they lose him for a little bit, they don't think it would be the dramatic impact that was last year when he was out. So uh, for all those reasons, uh, talent, uh, new additions, um, the way that they're, they're, they're very similar. They have enough coming back where they have really good continuity. I, I would say George Mason. Then, you know, I'm, you mask, hey, Frank Martin ain't messing around. <laughs> he is bringing in some guys. He's going to coach different. He's not worried about spreading the floor and shooting threes and analytics. He is going to play old school smash mouth. He is going to be big, physical, mean. He has big bodies. He has guys who were recruited at the power five level. Uh, he's got two really good freshmen. Uh, Tafora is the guy with the rankings. But people who have seen these young guys play say Luis is the one. Uh, so he's got good young players. He has returners with Fernandez and, uh, um, oh gosh, the shooter, Weeks. DJ Weeks. Yeah, Weeks. Um, but he's brought in a lot of size, Conte, Woodley, Levesque. And these just aren't tall guys. These are 250, 260, jacked. Frank Martin, physical kind of guys. Um, so, uh, and the guys, it's interesting. I asked someone close to their program. I said, well, what about all conference? Because at the end of the day, you're going to need someone to be better than the other guys, which means an all conference guy. And they talked about Matt Cross. And that's a guy that people aren't talking about a whole lot, but people who know that program think he could emerge as, that guy who separates himself and becomes the all-conference type of guy. If not for the Aduro and the continuity at George Mason, uh, so UMass doesn't have an Aduro, they don't have continuity. That's why I would put George Mason ahead of them in September. But I, UMass, uh, I give Coach Martin an A-plus for what he's done in the first few months. Yeah, and everything you just said about UMass is basically the exact opposite of what we watched the last few years. 
tough, physical, big. That is not the UMass team that we saw last year that was one of the 30 worst defensively in the country. And really the, one, the two holdovers, as you mentioned, are Fernandes and Weeks. And do you think Noah Fernandes will still be a good fit with that team in a slower, more physical system? We saw him thrive in, uh, in, in that more up-tempo three-point shooting offense, or is he just a good yeah. point guard who's just going to be a good point guard? Yeah, I agree with the latter. I just think he's veteran, he's good, he's tough, he's smart, he, he's good in the pick and roll, he can make threes, he makes good decisions. Uh, yeah, I, I have no issues with Fernandez, but it, it's the other good thing. So you get with new coaches a first-year bounce, and here's the reason. When you've recruited guys, and Coach Martin is not like this, and later we'll talk about Coach Dunphy, and he's not like this, but you develop such close relationships with players sometimes that you want to see them succeed so badly. Uh, and for lack of a better term, maybe you give them more opportunities without them necessarily earning it because you want to build their confidence and you want them to have a good experience. You've told them from recruiting them for a long time, how great it was going to be uh, once they get there and you want it to be great. So you kind of feed them opportunities. When you're a new coach, especially with returning players, you don't have those relationships. You make everyone earn everything. And I actually think that Fernandez coming in and with a tough old school coach, that's going to say, Hey, you got to prove it to me. You were a good player, but it's not like it worked. It's not like it won. You won a lot. You're going to have to prove this to me. I think that'll bring out even more out of Fernandez. Um, yeah, Coach Martin's old school. And the way they play defense is also very different than other people. So they also have the advantage of the way they will play defense is different than everyone else in the league will play defense. They deny passes. Everyone now pressures the ball. Off the ball, they protect the lane, get in gaps, try to cut down on penetration. Uh, make people take contested jump shots. They're not worried about taking you out of your offense. Frank Martin's going to try to take people out of their offense. So, you know, they're, they're, they have a unique style of play and uh, a coach that's going to challenge guys to make them earn everything. And he has a lot of big, strong guys and a lot of pieces. Yeah, I think that's important to talk about <clears throat> having um different styles of play for the teams to learn because there's a lot of new coaches this year. We also have a new team in the conference, Loyola Chicago. And although Drew Valentine isn't in his first year as a head coach, he's going to have to learn the conference. I'm curious from your perspective, do you see that as an advantage or disadvantage for the Ramblers being new? Because on one hand, the other teams aren't going to be familiar with their own styles, but they've also got to learn 14 new scouting reports too. Yeah. One of the things that Commissioner McGlade deserves an A plus on is she always is able to add the right teams, whether it's Butler VCU or whether it was uh, uh, George Mason or Loyola right now or Davidson. I mean, Davidson's been a grand slam for the A-10. So she has added really good teams. And I think she did it again. Uh, and Loyola, they have an identity. They, they're really tough defensively. They, they play defense a lot like the old St. Louis teams did under Coach Majerus. 
Um, and they they added they they have a great backcourt coming back, and they added some key transfers. So their team is going to be completely based on how those four transfers go. How quickly I know they take a trip to Europe, and that should help them uh, speed up uh, just uh, getting used to each other. But Loyola is just to me on transfer watch. Uh, Golden, you got to have confidence in because he was a starter and productive at the Big East level. But uh, the Division II player, Alston, and the other guys that were really good players on teams with losing records, you know, they're, they're in a prove-it mode. So uh, good coach there, really good backcourt, really good system. Those four transfers are going to have to really make a big impact. Yeah, and I want to ask you about another team kind of in the same, uh, same level of the preseason rankings right now with a lot of good good looking newcomers and that's Davidson they obviously bring back Menenga and Lawyer but they got to replace three starters including the player of the year and most importantly they got to replace a hall of fame coach so like what what do you think we might see out of Davidson this year and what's McKillop walking into Matt McKillop uh taking over for his father so I'll start with the player part and then get to the coaching part. Uh, a guy that I you might not be hearing a lot about that I think is going to do a really good job for them is their Buffalo transfer, Skogman. He's really big and he can really shoot. Uh, that means that uh, he should be a good fit at Davidson because, of course, they 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 are great at off-the-ball movement and the offense is exquisite. We'll get into that in a second when we talk about the coaching. But that offense has to have shooters. And Skogman's a big guy who could shoot. He started all year for a really good Mac team. So uh, I think you could pencil him in. And then uh, the freshman Bailey that people are talking about. But uh, I trust coaches. And coaches are high on Bailey. They look at him as a power five level player. They look at him a lot like Grady. Different positionally but a guy that could have went to the power five level, but went to Davidson because of the brand, because of the offense, because of the system, because of the history, because of the school itself. So I think you could put those two in there with lawyer and Menenga, and then you're not that far off. I know last year Watson was a guy that they were high on. I mean, Huffman, is really underrated. Now he's not an all conference guy, but he is really an underrated defender. If yeah, you watch dog. him play defense, he's a monster. So uh, yeah, Davidson's in that next tier for me. I got at, in that five to eight range and I really can't pick the order. UMass, Davidson, Richmond, Loyola. Uh, in terms of the coaching thing, watch who you follow. And you're following one of the best coaches, in, in my opinion, in college basketball history. Uh, now, what he has going for him is that was his dad. And I don't mean that in a uh, nepotism, nepotism type way at all. It's the opposite of that. I think when you have a great program and you have a longtime assistant, that assistant deserves a shot and so it has nothing to do with being his son. But here's what has to do with being his son. He not only knows the offense, the nuances, he knows the mentality. He knows the emotions. He knows the dealing with players part, the, 
the dealing with people at the university part, there's nothing about that program that Matt McKillop does not know. I mean, he knows what to order at that, that post-game reception at the restaurant across the street. He knows everything about that program. So I, I think that uh, he's by far the best choice to follow a legend because of his knowledge of how that legend did everything. Um, and I, he'll put his own stamp on it. I'm sure he'll tweak a few things. And my only advice would be, don't tweak too much. Don't tweak too much. You have a recipe in there that is world famous and, you know, don't put a little too much seasoning in it or put your own touch too, too much because what they do really works. And I, I, I think uh, I'm not concerned about the coaching. I'm concerned, as you said, about losing Brykovich and Lee to great A-10 players. But I see the guys stepping up, being Skogman and Bailey, and then uh, some of those role players like Watson and Huffman will do a good job. It's just they'll go from having three all-conference guys to one. And uh, even Meninga is really a good starter, but I don't know if he's an all-conference guy. So when you go from three all-conference players to one, that's their concern. But they have so many good players, and I think they'll be so well-coached that they will be in the middle of things. Yeah, and I'm glad you mentioned Huffman, too, because his defense really just didn't come through the TV screen for me last year. And when I got to see him in person, it became evident immediately just how vicious of a defender he is. Hard to get a good shot against this guy. This guy, he is, if, if he'll guard the other team's best player, and that player will not get an easy shot. Yeah, and... In, in terms of the coaching, Matt McKillop does have one little advantage because it is, people say it's the hardest job to replace a legend, but we know he'll still have that phone line to him, not only with, uh, with Bob McKillop being his dad, but I can't imagine he's moving anywhere away from that house across the street from the arena anytime soon. So I think that'll be surprised. I think that's kind of similar to the coaching transition that's going on at Duke right now. And if you read those quotes, Coach K is trying to stay away. And I, I think it'll be the opposite. I think Coach McKillop will go out of his way to not be around and try to not get in uh, the new Coach McKillop's gear too much and really let him find his own way. You, you, you don't want to, you know, occasionally you can use that great resource, but you can also use it too much. And the key to coaching is being yourself. So I, say, I mentioned that the new coach McKillop will tweak things a little bit, but not do it too much. And maybe that's not good advice because you do have to be yourself. And, and, I, and I'm sure that uh, coach McKillop senior will give Matt McKillop all the freedom in the world to, to do things his own way. And I, I, I just think coach Matt McKillop is prepared uh, he knows this system. As I said, he knows the league. He knows the school. Uh, he's watched a master run practices and recruit and use contacts overseas and, and motivate people. So uh, I think he's ready to more than ready to run his own program. And I think that, as I said, I think his dad will probably try to stay out of the way. Yeah. I mean, Bob McKillop, not exactly a guy that you see being very overbearing, but we, 
we know he'll be there for his son if he needs him. But I want to move along to another veteran coach who's won a lot of games, who had the exact opposite season of Bob McKillop last year. And that's Keith Dambrot over at Duquesne. By all measures of record, the worst season of his career. They bring in a lot of talent now. They basically overhauled the entire roster, save for Trey Williams and Kevin Easley and Austin Rotrov. So what do you, where do you see Duquesne going this year? Is this a program that's still in a deep rebuild or was last year's roster just kind of something that needed to go? Well, I, I think last year's roster definitely needed to go. So that I think everyone would agree with. Um, I have not gotten as deep into them in the off season, but I obviously know coach uh, Dan Brock very well. He has had an astonishing career. Uh, even at Duquesne, uh, he has consistently had winning teams and he's consistently improved the program. Uh, so last year, I think is uh, the exception. I know him as a competitor. He is super intense. He's also, a, besides a good coach, he's a really good man. I, I lost a heartbreaker to him in double or triple overtime in my last year, in his first year. And he was unusually kind and compassionate, uh, usually not worried about the other guy, but he was. And uh, in broadcasting some of his games, he's a very open coach. And again, look at his record year to year at Akron and at Duquesne and you cannot question whether he's a good coach that was proven years ago so the roster didn't work they blew it up and now we have to wait and see I put them in the same group as St. Bonaventure GW LaSalle St. Joe's Fordham uh you know that uh, I I told one coach you know I got these seven programs with question marks and the coach said that's a kind way to put it <laughs> so um you know there, there's no way of knowing what's going to happen in those programs but i do know they have a terrific coach and like you said he they've recruited well this year uh they've gone more transfers than youth which should bring quicker results uh but really hard to predict yeah, and out of that whole group that you just mentioned, the, the question mark group, as you put it, is there either a team or a player? Because none of those teams really have any proven stars coming back. Is there someone that yeah. maybe we should have our eye on for next year as a potential all-conference guy or one of those teams as a whole as maybe someone who could burst into the top half? I would say the... Uh... The, those top Duquesne transfers because they're all proven double figure guys, but St. Bonaventure is, is so, so new and they do have some good players, but there's a difference between good and all conference. You need all conference guys to break into that top half. Now the one program that has a guy that everyone knows that has all conference potential is Bishop at George Washington. And I have been as tough on him as anyone. You know, he's clearly been high usage. He's clearly taken a lot of shots. He's clearly had the ball in his hands, maybe too much to have a balanced uh, team or an efficient offense. Uh, however, word is John Rothstein would say well-embedded molds. 
uh, around the GW uh, campus say that he is playing very well, that he's uh, with Coach Caputo, that he's moving the ball, sharing the ball. He's still uh, their lead guard, but that, uh, you know, he's playing really good basketball and that uh, uh, people there are, are high on him. They see him as being rejuvenated. They see him as being better. They see him as playing differently. They see him moving the ball, making quicker decisions. So, uh, you know, that's an old A-10 name. But remember, the new coach bounce. Uh, coach Caputo didn't recruit him, didn't tell him how great George Washington was going to be. I love, I'm going to pull out an old Max Good coach uh, quote. Max Good, the legendary MCI coach and UNLV coach. He used to promise kids two things, a pair of shoes and a hard time. So when you recruit someone, you can't just promise them a pair of shoes and a hard time. You got to tell them how great it's going to be. But when you come in like Coach Caputo, you can be way more objective with someone. You can, uh, uh, and, and when you're a new coach, you know, Coach Caputo's tenure at GW will not be determined by next year. It'll be determined by his culture and uh, developing players and recruiting and not by trying to make these veteran players feel good. So once again, just like Fernandez at UMass, someone is coming in at GW and challenging Bishop uh, that what has been done is not good enough. And by all accounts, he's, as I said, playing good basketball and making every effort. And, you know, in basketball, they say you got to make a decision in 0.5 seconds to be efficient and to be a good offense player. One of the things I think Bishop has done is he's held onto the ball a little bit too long and, and it's been way, way more than 0.5 seconds until a decision is made, but he's making quicker decisions and uh, they're high on him. So that would like, be uh, someone that thought, uh, would have been thought of as being a top eight, 10 player a year or two ago. Now people are probably not thinking that, but he could still end up that. Yeah. And, I've been probably more critical of James Bishop than literally anyone who puts their voice to a microphone. And I didn't even have him in my top 21 players going into this year. Right. But I if, if he is, if he truly becomes an efficient player, then with where the scoring talent's at, he's a no doubt all conference guy. So we'll see if we'll see if that's where uh, Chris Caputo can take him this year. Exactly. And new coaches, it's everyone talks about the importance of relationships. Sometimes not having that relationship allows you to be more objective and demanding and frankly, make people earn their way a little bit more. And I think you'll see that at UMass and at Rhode Island and with all the new coaches, GW, LaSalle, um, you know, I think you'll see those programs, if not have better talent, maybe play a little better basketball because those no coaches are not messing around. Yeah, and we want to talk to you about one of the other new coaches, a guy who you are uniquely qualified to talk about here, maybe the most qualified in all of college basketball to talk about. Your former school, LaSalle, hires your former rival coach, Fran Dunphy, and he's walking into kind of a rough situation after the last few years that was a team that has struggled to get out of the first round of the conference tournament. Where, what does he have to do to turn this team back into a winning program? And we know it's not going to be 
in the immediate term, but three, four years for LaSalle to be a good top half of the A-10 program again? Yeah, it, it, it's a great question. And the first thing I would say is, is never underestimate Fran Dunphy. He is a amazing basketball coach. You look at all the great coaches that have come through Philadelphia. You could say Penn is a great job in the Ivy League, which it is. You could say Temple was a great job in the A-10, which it, which it was. Um, but, you know, there's been – John Chaney was at Temple. Uh, Harry Litwick was at Temple. Villanova's a great job. They've had great coaches. St. Joe's has had great coaches. And Speedy Morris, Tom Golar, Paul West had coached at LaSalle. I mean, Chuck Daly coached at Penn. Think of these names I'm – throwing out there and among all those names and Jay Wright and Raleigh Massimino the winningest coach in big five history is Fran Dumpy so do not underestimate him and like a lot of good ideas or good coaches he keeps things simple and it's about execution and toughness I've thought about how does this guy win the way he does and what he does is uh, they don't turn the ball over offensively. Shots are based on rolls. They get good shots. And defensively, they protect the paint and make you take jump shots, hopefully contested jump shots. So if you're going to beat a Fran Dunphy team, there's not going to be a lot of easy baskets. You're not going to get it inside easily. You're not going to drive them easily. You're not going to run on them easily. You're not going to get a bunch of offensive rebounds. you got to make jump shots. And that's not an easy thing to do. So he is an unbelievable fundamental coach, and that's a given. But he's going to need talent. Clearly, he has gone the foreign routes. That's been very intentional. Uh, so he's got to find a gem uh, or two there. And then in terms of the program itself, LaSalle knows that their facilities are not good. Uh, they know that their infrastructure is way behind the top of the A-10 and ahead of behind most of the A-10. So while he's there, they, that's where they have to improve. They have to raise money. They have to improve their facilities. They have to progress uh, with, they also have a, a new president who's a former basketball player as well. So the health of the university has to grow and it's all infrastructure. If Fran Dunphy over the next several years can coach the way he's always coached and stabilize that team on the floor, which I don't think is going to be an issue, but if also with his leadership and his connections, and of course he's a LaSalle alum, if he can generate some more support and progress in terms of facilities and, uh, when I say infrastructure, that means everything without boring you with all the details a team might need from nutrition to travel uh, to recruiting budgets. Um, I, I think his job off the court in terms of uh, advancing the university and the athletic department, it, it, there's no one better to do this. Fran Dunphy is philanthropic. He's raised millions of dollars for coaches versus cancer. He's completely immersed in not only charitable causes, but in the Philadelphia uh, and regional social and financial scene. So they really did hire the right person. If you want stability on the court, Fran Dunphy, if you're in Philadelphia and you want to 
increase the support for your program, Fran Dunphy. So, uh, you know, the, the, the improvement on the court, maybe it could be dramatic, but I think it will certainly be noticeable and solid and incremental. But at the same time, whatever's going on behind the scenes in the president's office and the AD's office and with boosters and supporters, that's, that's really important, as you said, for, so that in several years, LaSalle can, can be better positioned in the A-10. Yeah, and the A-10 shifted since Temple's left. And I think a lot of the fans of the newer teams remember Fran Dunphy from his American athletic days at the end there. The last time Fran Dunphy was coaching in the A-10, he was an elite coach running an elite program. So he he certainly has the credentials. He went to the NCAA tournament in his last year, I believe, in the American. And this whole at-large bid situation, there's very few of them for the A-10 or the American. If you're getting an at-large bid out of the American, that means you're a top 40 team in the country, probably in the closer, well, in the 30s. Uh, so to do that in Temple and to be better than half the Power Five in the Big East, I think that's doing a great job at Temple. So um, it's weird to say that the winningest coach in Big Five history might be underrated, but I, he might be underrated. I think he might be as well. I mean, I just remember growing up as a kid, like you can always tell if it's a good coach when they coach at a rival school and you can't stand them. I could not stand Fran Dunphy as a little kid rooting for Duquesne because you knew he was going to win every time he walked into that building. So that's the pedigree he brings to LaSalle. Yeah. Yeah. And now the talent issue again, to, to, rise up in that conference you need all conference players and as we look at the question mark seven you don't see all conference players reynolds at st joe's bishop at gw and maybe quisenberry at fordham so you have three possibilities preseason out of 17 so at the end of the day as good a coach as he is um you know, he certainly has some good players, but does he have players better than the other guy? He doesn't. So, um, again, I look for stability and incremental improvement. And in the question mark seven, like that should be a league unto itself. If you really want to evaluate coaches, let's have separate standings for those seven because those seven just aren't going to have the players that the other eight are, are this year. They're just not. So I would almost have that as my own subdivision uh, to kind of evaluate the growth and development in those programs. And by the way, the winner of those seven gets a buy into the second round of the conference tournament. So there is a little reward for it. There you go. So final question for you here, as we look ahead to this next season, just kind of looking at the conference as a whole, Matt and I have, have argued about this a little bit off the air so far. We'll bring the argument on the air, but the A-10 as a whole this year, does it seem like it's just better set up than the last few years with the talent that's returned with the transfers in? And now all of a sudden, Archie Miller, Frank Martin, Fran Dunphy have come back into this conference. To you as a whole, do you see this being the potential for a great A-10 season or things kind of business as usual? 
every year people, I hear someone say, this is the best A-10 ever. And I'm thinking, do they not remember uh, uh, the UMass teams and John Cheney's teams and uh, Tom Pender's teams at George Washington and on and on and on. I mean, this league has been terrific for a long, 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 long time. Um, certainly it's evolved and changed. So I, I think it's business as usual in a good way. Again, I, when you have your podcast in the first week of January, you're going to pretty much know how many bids the A-10 can realistically get with the only question mark being what happens in the championship game. Does a bid stealer win it? Uh, but you can't have, getting an at-large bid is so tough. You can't have a nondescript, non-conference performance and expect to get an at-large bid. Um, so I do think it's interesting. I'm going to give you some more coaching psyche now. You have the cliche, respect everyone, fear no one. Well, guess what? Deep down, they won't say it, but coaches do fear certain teams. If I was a coach right now, I would fear, I, I, would, I would have a fear scale. I would fear Dayton and St. Louis. I, I really would. I would have tremendous respect, maybe not fear because I think I can guard them, but VCU's elite defense and their elite home court uh, advantage and just the number of athletes they're going to throw at you. And by the way, they think that this is their deepest team they've ever had there. Um, so tremendous respect. And then in that next tier, again, the George Masons, UMass Davidson, Richmond, Loyola, Rhode Island, those are traditionally solid A-10 teams. I, I actually think there's more with the, those seven with the question marks. I think there's more rebuilding teams than we've had in the past. I could see this year having a real separation where maybe those seven don't win a lot of games against the top eight. I mean, we've seen LaSalle knock off Dayton and, uh, and a really good, top 25 like Richmond team in the past. And, you know, I, I don't know if those top seven are going to have as much success against uh, those other eight this year. I, uh, so that would be one thing. The other thing I was completely wrong about last year that you guys are so nice. You didn't call me out on. I thought with the transfer portal you'd and with free agency, you'd see more of an NFL-like effect with teams going from worst to making big jumps. And what I've learned is no matter what the rules are, that we talked about infrastructure, certain programs, the Dayton, St. Louis's VCUs, if you look at their fan base, you look at their facilities, you look at their travel, nutrition, coaching staffs, they're really well positioned. And in the, it's interesting. I heard someone uh, once say, in the Big East, you look at the top team and the bottom team, and actually their facilities and infrastructure are pretty similar. In the A-10, it's pretty dramatically different if you look at the Dayton, St. Louis's VCUs and some other people. Uh, so, yeah, I, I, I think that maybe you're not going to see as much movement, and um, it's going to be tough to crack those top three. Yeah, and last year it turned out that the one team that did make a semi-surprising leap, not from the bottom to the top, but from the middle to the top, was the team with a Hall of Famer and Bob McKillop at the helm. So, 
and, certainly and a I team think, that had the infrastructure. And, and I think no one knew how terrific Foster Lawyer was. Yeah. I mean, you knew about the other guys, but Foster Lawyer was phenomenal. Uh, you know, a, a guy who's in the discussion for first team all conference among the best players in the league. And that was the surprise. And uh, there'll be another surprise. I didn't see as a freshman, Josh Orduro being what he is. So that's the beautiful thing. Well, as I said, when your show comes up in January, there's going to be some more surprises. And that's one of the most fun things about all this. Um, yeah, it will be a fun season. It will be a surprising season, as you said. But one thing that is not surprising, Dr. John Giannini, you came on here and you gave us a great podcast. So thank hey, you, as always, for joining us. I'm looking at this. Let me give you one more. Neil Quinn at Richmond. Seven foot, the best passing big man. There's not a better big pa passing big man in America. How about that? Keep an eye on him. Like, again, Richmond lost a lot, but this guy's unique to be that big and pass that well. And to fit into that system, that's another one to watch for. So, sorry, I forgot about that one. Well, that's a great thing to throw in. And friend of the show, Stu Ledecky, is driving the Neil Quinn bandwagon hard. So he will be thrilled to hear that because we also know that he listen, that he will listen all the way to the end of this episode. So, Stu, you got something in common with, the, with Dr. John here. But, Coach, thank you for joining us. All right, great time. Talk to you later. Bye-bye. And as always, thank you all for listening to this episode of the Three Bid League podcast. If you haven't caught up on our last few episodes, we got plenty. It's the offseason. Everything is still timely. So be sure to go back. We had Braden Norris last week. We had Coach Kim English earlier in the summer. Deron Holmes. Go check out our top 21 player rankings with Stu Ledecky and Tristan Freeman. Go listen to our episode with Daryl Davis. Ryan Daly from earlier in the summer, all great episodes, all still relevant now. So you don't need to worry about being behind on those. But once again, thank you all for listening to this episode of the three bid league podcast. We hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. Be sure to go give us five stars on iTunes. If you did, you can leave us comments at the number three bid league pod on Twitter, or if you prefer, you can send us an email number three bid league at gmail.com. Thank you for listening.